Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Turn back to the book of Genesis with me. We've been walking through the book of Genesis for some time now. If you're new to Northwood, this is what we do. We take books of the Bible and we just walk through them and learn all that God has to say to us through these uh, great books of his word. So we're in Genesis chapter 19 this morning. Uh, We're going to look at the entire chapter together, but in just a moment, I'm going to read to you verses 15 down through 22. So be finding Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 22. If you're new to the Bible, uh, Genesis is real easy to find. It's the very first book in the Bible. Just open your Bible up and you'll be there. You'll be in the book of Genesis. If you don't own a Bible, that's okay too, because in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick up that copy of the Bible and find Genesis with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God who loves you and desires a relationship with you. Genesis 19 verses 15 through 22. So uh, when we get done today, I'll I'll head over to our Connect to Northwood class and and lead the group through that, and then I'll go home, we'll load up the car, and we'll begin our journey to New Orleans. So we won't go all the way tonight because it's a 13-hour drive and that's just crazy isn't it so so we'll stop in Augusta this evening and make our way tomorrow and and I I, I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans in August but I promise you New Orleans in August is the hottest place in the world I mean I love New Orleans but if you think about it New Orleans it really is the armpit of America right I mean it's 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 sweaty it's smelly uh you know it's it's all those different things so anyway that's where we're heading we're heading to the armpit of America this afternoon so most of you know that uh I lived in New Orleans years ago when I was in my early 20s I I moved to New Orleans and it was kind of my Abraham experience uh, I didn't know anybody in New Orleans, had no friends, no family there, nothing. I just felt the call of God to go pastor a church in this rural town north of the city and to go to seminary there. And so I left everything I knew back in Augusta and made my way to New Orleans. And it worked out pretty well. I mean, I met my wife and you know, here we are today. So good move, right? So, so, but I was there and I can remember being in that city that first year and it was just different. It's a very different city, unlike any other place in the United States. And if you know anything about New Orleans, you know uh, that New Orleans perhaps is most famous for Mardi Gras. And so I remember the very first Mardi Gras, I was in New Orleans. And, and so during Mardi Gras, I don't know if you know this or not, but Mardi Gras is actually a day. It's Fat Tuesday. It's 40 days uh, uh, before Easter. It's the whole Lenten season. It kicks it off. And so, so Fat Tuesday is that, that um, Mardi Gras day. The day before Mardi Gras is obviously Monday, and they call it Lundi Gras, the Monday before Mardi Gras. And so the whole season around the Mardi Gras holiday is called Carnival Season. And during Carnival Season, there are parades everywhere, like, you know, several times a week. Stacy actually grew up on a parade route in Metairie, and so when we got married, we'd go down and watch parades just a couple blocks from our home. Really cool stuff. And, and so anyway, anyway, 
And that's in a different part of the city, and I'll explain that in just a minute. So, 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 yeah, you know where I'm going. So here we are. Um, I was there first time ever in New Orleans during Mardi Gras, and I had a buddy of mine who wanted to come and visit. So he came, and, and we thought it would be a good idea on that Lundy Gras to go downtown to St. Charles Avenue because every Lundy Gras, Harry Connick Jr. has this big, massive parade down St. Charles Avenue. And so my, my buddy, he was a member of this some kind of diner's club, and so we went to this really swanky restaurant on St. Charles Avenue. We were eating our jambalaya our etouffee, and then this monsoon of a rainstorm came and just wiped everything away. And so, so after we ate dinner, we went outside, the rain had gone, and, and they went on with the parade. And so it was really quite interesting because there was nobody there. I mean, this is the night before Fat Tuesday. You expect everybody to be there, but I guess the rain had scared everybody away. And so we and a few other people got to witness the huge parade all by ourselves. And I had never seen anything like it. I don't know if you've ever been to a Mardi Gras parade, but, but it was wild. Like the, the floats are just absolutely astounding. They're, they're ginormous and they all kinds of colors and, and they're really quite beautiful. And they just, the parade seemed to go on for hours. And I remember seeing Harry Connick Jr. come by on his float. It was just, honestly, it was a lot of fun. And we got our beads and all those kind of things. And, and, I, and I, I left that night thinking, and man, if this is what Mardi Gras is about, it's pretty cool, right? Big, massive parade, lots of beads, all those kinds of things. And so the next morning we got up on Fat Tuesday and we said, man, we had such a great experience last night. Let's go see what all this stuff's about in the French Quarter. And so, so we got up and about 9, 10 o'clock in the morning and we went down to the French Quarter. Now you've seen pictures, right, of, of what it looks like in New Orleans on Fat Tuesday. And, and, and I promise you, everything you see in the pictures is true and worse. So we got down there, and we began to make our way through the French Quarter. We walked down Royal Street, and it was just wall-to-wall people. We walked up towards Bourbon Street and almost got there. It's like, this is not a good idea. Because I, 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 you, when, you, when you think about New Orleans and Mardi Gras, you, you have images that come to your mind, and please get those images out of your mind because they're true, and, and it's far worse than that. I mean, I mean I, I, as a 20-something-year-old man, young man, I, I saw things that, that I should have never seen in my life. I mean, it was, it was horrible. Everyone was intoxicated, and, and what goes along with all of that, I mean, it, it was far worse than anything I could imagine, and I, and I remember leaving that place. We were there about 10, 15 minutes and said, this was a really, really bad idea. And so I remember leaving that place thinking, man, this must be what Sodom and Gomorrah was like, right? And I tell you that story because here we are in Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, a.k.a. New Orleans, right? So, so here we are in, 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 in Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and just to tell you, I mean, when I, when I read the description that Moses, the author of Genesis, gives us of Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19, it makes Mardi Gras in New Orleans look like a, a child's birthday party. I mean, this is bad. It's really bad. And, and, and here you are, and, 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 and maybe if you've even never read this story before, you have some familiarity with it. We're all somewhat, somewhat familiar with the term Sodom and Gomorrah, right? In fact, we, we know it kind of as a, a phrase of judgment and all those kinds of things. And, 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 and when you and I think of Sodom and Gomorrah, our minds immediately go to perverse sins, right? Perverse sexual sins. And we like to stand back. And, 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 and what happens a lot of times with preachers is that preachers will take a text like Sodom and Gomorrah and just start, you know, pound the holy stick, right, against perverse sexual sins, and, and understandably so, because there is perverse sexual sin in Sodom and Gomorrah that, that is heinous in the eyes of God. But, 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 but here's where it gets personal. 
Yes, this is a story about a city under destruction, the judgment of God because of perverse sin. But this story of Sodom and Gomorrah and its destruction is just as much a story about a man who chose to live in that city. In fact, I would say uh, Moses is really giving us a story to, to, to talk to us about Lot. Lot, who we'll get to this later in the message, but who Peter calls in 2 Peter chapter 2, righteous Lot, a believer of God, choosing to live in Sodom. It's a fascinating story. Lot chose the wrong city to live in. And, and the reality is, while what we're going to see as we walk through this text together is, is Lot certainly chose the wrong city to live in, but the, but the, the big problem here is that Sodom and Gomorrah lived inside of Lot. The values of Sodom and Gomorrah had taken up residence in Lot's life. He chose the wrong city because of his heart. And I, I think what we're going to see in this story we're going to see this question surface that, that we all have to ask ourselves. Have we chosen the wrong city? Even as followers of Jesus, have we chosen the wrong city? You know what the Bible says. John says in, in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things of the world. Have you chosen the wrong city? And what I want to show you from this text this morning as we walk through this story that, that maybe you're somewhat familiar with, I want to show you three ways that you can know if you've chosen the wrong city or not. So I'm going to explain all that. It's going to make sense to you as we walk along. But take your Bibles, Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 22. Go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reading of God's word together. Genesis chapter, 15, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 19, verses 15 through 22. This is what the Bible says. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated. Because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. They brought him out and left him outside of the city. As soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to him, no, my lords, please. Your servant has indeed found favor with you and you have shown great kindness to me by saving my life. But I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me and I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to. It is a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it? So I can survive there. And he said to him, all right, I'll grant your request about this matter too. And we'll not, we'll not demolish the town you mentioned. Hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for time to be together in your word. And Father, this is a, a hard passage. Because I think what this passage is going to reveal in us is that that hard attitude that constantly chooses the wrong city. And so, Father, I know for, for many of us, this, this passage is going to be convicting for us. But, Father, I know also in this story that that seems to be just so full of judgment. There's much hope and grace in this story. 
So, Father, I pray that as you teach us this morning by the power of your Spirit, through your Word, that you'd help us to listen carefully to what you're saying to us. And, Father, that we will be a people this morning who long to hear your voice and respond to it in obedience and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, so just quickly, let's do a little review. You remember, Lot was there. He was there with Abraham, and they had so much stuff, so many possessions. And, and Abraham turned to his nephew, Lot, and he said, okay, you choose, Lot. You pick. Which way you want to go? This land can't hold the both of us and all of our possessions. Which way do you want to go? You go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You choose, and you remember what the Bible said, that Lot looked, and he saw Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Moses was quick to interject. When we were looking at that passage weeks ago, Moses was quick to tell us this was a bad place. It was an evil place. But when Lot looked out and he saw the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, in his mind, Moses tells us, it it looked like the Garden of Eden, lush, fertile, a place where he could settle down and all of his desires could be met. And so he takes his family, he takes his livestock, he takes his possessions, and they go. And they live outside of Sodom and Gomorrah. But by the time we get to Genesis chapter 19, you know this, Lot and his family aren't living on the outskirts of Sodom and Gomorrah. No, no, Lot and his family, they are living in Sodom. In fact, it's interesting. Remember last week, don't you? For the last couple of Sundays, in fact, we've been looking at how uh, these three men came to Abraham, God and his two messengers. We saw last week how, how Abraham is there and he's pleading with God. I, I know it's a wicked place, but please, for the sake of the righteous, spare that wicked place. You remember how these two messengers, they, they begin to make their way to Sodom. And now here they are. These two messengers, they are, are coming into Sodom. and they, they make it to the city gates. And I don't know if you know much about ancient culture and ancient history, but the city gates of a city were important. Because at the city gates, that's where you met together to do city business. And it could be, we don't know this for sure, but it could be that by this point, Lot has lived in Sodom so long that he's become a person of influence. That he's at the city gates because he's a a town elder. He sits on the city council and he helps to make decisions for the city. All that to say, he is deeply invested in Sodom and he sees it. He sees these two men coming, and and we've talked about this, how in an ancient culture, hospitality, it was so important. I mean, we looked at how Abraham showed hospitality to to God and, and the two messengers. Now, Lot is going to show hospitality as well. He sees these two men approaching, and look what the Bible says. You come to to verse 2. My lords, turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet, and spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. This gets interesting to me. You probably know this if you've read the story before. At first, uh, the the two messengers, they say, no, 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 we'll we'll be okay. We'll stay. We'll stay in the city square and and we'll be fine. And Lot Lot pleads with them, no, 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 come come to my house. Why? Because Lot, Lot knows. Lot knows where he lives. And Lot knows that if these two men stay in the city square, it's not going to go well. In fact, as you read through the text, there's this sense of of urgency. When Peter writes about Lot years later in the New Testament, Peter says that Lot was tormented because he knew. 
he knew that the city he lived in was evil. He's tormented. He knows God. He, he, he came with Abraham out of the land of Ur. He followed God along with Abraham. But he chose to live in this evil place. And his, his, his heart, his mind, his soul, I mean, it's tormented. And he knows it. He knows that he cannot let these men sleep outside in the city square because if they do, the evil city is going to take over. Come on. And look at what it says again. Go back to verse 2. You, you see this, this, this hurriedness in the text, this, this, this desire on Lot's part to get him in and get him out. Look at what it says. You can wash your feet, spend the night. Then you can get up early and go on your way. Just come, spend the night. And as, as soon as the sun comes up, you get out of here, go. And look at what else it says. You come down and you, you, you read verse three, but he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast. Now, now remember, Abraham did this as well back in chapter 18 when these three men came to Abraham's house. You remember? Oh, Abraham went all out. They, they made biscuits and gravy. They, 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 they grilled steak. I mean, he put this feast before these messengers, but not Lot. He shows hospitality. He invites them in. He offers them a meal, but look at what it says. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. Now, you're familiar with unleavened bread because when the, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, that Passover, that's what they ate, unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is, is, is Hebrew fast food, okay? It is the equivalent. It is the equivalent of me inviting you to my home and offering you Hot Pockets, right? And so, so you have Lot, he, he pulls out the pepperoni Hot Pockets. And he says, here you go, eat, go to sleep and get out of here. He knows, you see what I'm saying? Lot knows that, that, that these two men that have entered into Sodom, they are in a dangerous place. Let's eat, go to sleep. As soon as the sun comes up, you get out of here and you get out of here fast. And then it happens. What Lot feared begins to come to fruition. Right before the men get ready to go to bed for the night, the men of the town come out. They want them. This, this, I know this gets a bit graphic, but just, just hang with me. Come, come and look what it says in verse four. Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, listen, Moses goes out of his way as he writes this to show us just how depraved Sodom and Gomorrah were. Look at what it says. The men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population surround the house. They called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so we can have sex with them. The whole of the population, not a few of the men, not some of the men, all of the men, young and old, surround Lot's house. We know they're in there. We saw them come through the city gates. We saw them take them into your home. Bring them out to us. Let us have our way with them. And all of a sudden, Lot's conflicted. Because a lot knows what can happen. He, he knows how evil the city is that he lives within. And I don't know, I, I can't get into the, 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 the thought process of Lot. I mean, the Bible doesn't spell out for us exactly what he was thinking. You know, I wasn't there, I wasn't in his shoes, but, but he's thinking, I gotta do something and I gotta do it fast. Otherwise, these men who I'm supposed to protect, well, they're gonna be put in a situation that is unthinkable. And so he speaks, look at what it says, and this is wild. 
Verse 6, he, he went out in the entrance and, and shut the door and he looked at the men and he said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, 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 I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have, not come, because they have come under the protection of my roof. Wow. You see it? Lot's in a situation. He doesn't know what to do. He's got to protect these men. And, and I don't think he's thinking clearly, obviously, because what he proposes is absolutely horrific. And it just shows you, it just shows you uh, not only the evilness of the city, but the evilness of Lot. That Sodom and Gomorrah was certainly dwelling in the heart of Lot because he comes out and says, wait a minute. I've got two young, beautiful daughters. They've never been with a man. Y'all have them. But, but, but it's interesting because what, now come in real close. You, you've got to see this. What Lot is doing, come on. What Lot is doing is he's bargaining with evil. He's bargaining with sin, right? Look at what it says. You come down and verse nine and, and the men say, get out of the way. This one man came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. Now we'll do more harm to you than to them. You, you see what they say? I mean, Lot's invested his life in this city. He has sat on the council or whatever the case may be. He's been there for a long time. He's wealthy, he's respective. And these men say, you're nothing but a foreigner. Who are you to tell us what to do? We're gonna do more harm to you than to them. You see, Lot tried to bargain. And, 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 and so do you, so do I. We try to bargain with evil too, right? Because the way we kind of live our Christian lives, now be honest with me because we all do this. We want a little bit of evil, don't we? We just want a little bit of sin, right? I want my Christian faith. I want to believe God. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus, but I, I sure would like a, a little bit of sin. Can't we bargain? Can't we negotiate? Can't I have just a little bit of sin? Can't, can't I? But, but, but I need you to hear this. Sin is not out to bargain with you. Sin is not out to negotiate with you. Evil is not out to compromise with you. Sin is out to consume you. And that's what's happening. The sin of this city wants to consume these two messengers that have come into Lot's home. The sin of this city now wants to consume Lot. And look what the text says. This is what gets really interesting. So, so Lot is out there. He's bargaining. He's pleading. But the, the, the men start to put pressure on the door to come and to get Lot. Verse 10, but the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old with blindness. In a second, now watch it. It's so fascinating. In a second, these messengers show Lot who they really are. They're not just men. They are powerful, majestic representatives of the God of all creation. And in a second, every man who was around that house was blinded. Now, in my Bible translation, the Christian Standard Bible, the language here is a little bit softer, if you will, than, than how the New American Standard or the ESV translates this next phrase. Look at, listen to what it says, both young and old with blindness, so they were unable to find the entrance. In the ESV translation of this phrase, it says that, that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Do you see it? 
that even in their blindness, I mean, just think about it, all these men, in a moment they're blind, but that blindness doesn't stop them from going after their sinful desires. And so the angels say to Lot, gotta go. Do you see the kind of place you live in? God has come to destroy this place because of its wickedness. You gotta go. Go tell your family, we're out of here. And so Lot runs and he tells his son-in-laws, hey, we gotta go, get, get, get my daughters, get your wives. We gotta get out of here. This is bad. Uh, these messengers, they just blinded a lot of people. It's really wild and, and they're about to destroy this place. We gotta go. And the sons-in-laws, they laugh. <laughs> what are you talking about, old man? Really? Come on. And then it happens. The next day, at daybreak, Lot gets up, gets his wife, gets his daughters. Look what it says. Verse 15, get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. Come on, Lot, it's time to go. You see what's happening in this place. You see how evil it is. You see what they tried to do to us. You see what they tried to do to you. Let's go. And, and come on now, be honest. If you're Lot, it's time to go. It's bad. But look what the Bible says. It's tragic. But he hesitated. But he hesitated. He'd been there all his life. And, and let's just be honest, this is what Lot knew. Same for some of us. You've gotten so comfortable in your sin. You've gotten so used to your sin. You've gotten so used to disobeying the Lord. It's just what you know. And then when God begins to call you out of it and say, I've got a different plan for you, a better way of life, you hesitate. But, but notice, this is what's so fascinating. And we gotta move fast. You just hang on, here we go. But he hesitated. But, but listen, because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his own two daughters, and they brought him out and left him outside the city. Do you see? Lot hesitated. And then in the very next sentence, Moses says, but God had compassion. And the question is, why? I mean, because you read through this story, I mean, Lot's not a very righteous man. He, he offers up his daughters. He tries to prostitute his own daughters to satisfy the mob. Yet God has compassion on him. Why? Let me ask you a question. Why does God have compassion on you? Why does God have compassion on me? Because the last time I read the Bible, it told me that all have sinned. All fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But look what goes on. 17, as soon as the angels got them outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plane, but run to the mountains. Now, just as an aside, when you get over to the gospel of Mark, when Jesus talks about the judgment coming, he talks about the abomination of desolation. And he says, on that day, when judgment comes, run to the mountains. Here, the angels of the God say to Lot, run to the mountains, flee, go, get as far away from here as possible. And Lot says, wait a minute, the mountains? Are you serious, God? Mountains, do you know how far away the mountains are? I can't run that fast and I can't run that far. I've been living in Sodom, living it up. I'm a little bit out of shape. I can't make it there. Can we compromise? There's a little place right over here. 
Can I go live there? And the messengers say, okay, we'll grant you that. And he goes and lives in a place called Zoar. Now I'm going to fast forward for just a second, so hang with me. At the end of the chapter, Lot is in Zoar. His wife's dead. He's there with his daughters. And you know what Zoar's like? Now watch this. You know what Zoar's like? It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It ain't different. It's evil. In fact, in fact, Lot was afraid to live there. And so for the rest of his life, he hid himself in a cave with his daughters. His daughters saw that they weren't going to have kids because daddy wouldn't let them out of the cave, right? So they got Lot drunk and slept with him so they could have children to continue their family line. That's another story, but let's keep going in the text. I know, the Bible is fascinating, isn't it? So he goes to Zohar. Then look what it says, verse 23. The sun had risen over the land when Lot reached Zohar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, look back. Now, now, Rewind just a bit. Remember verse 17, the angel said, don't look back. Don't stop. Run to the mountains. But she lived there all her life. Or for a large part of her life now. She made her home here. She raised a family here. She had friends in Sodom. Hobbies. Things she enjoyed. She looked back. And when Lot's wife looked back. She was swept up in the judgment. On the other side of the area stood Abraham. He stood in the same place where God had talked to him about this judgment that was coming. He stood in the same place where he had pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah and he watched. He watched as Sodom and Gomorrah went up in smoke. And look at how the story ends. You come to verse 29. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot had lived. Wild. What a story. And, and, and if you think again about this story, this story is about a man, a man who chose the wrong city. And the consequences for choosing the wrong city, for living in the place of sin and rebellion against God were disastrous. And the reason why he chose the wrong city is because the wrong city lived inside of him. And so how do you know, my friend, how do you know if you've chosen the wrong city? How do I know if I've chosen the wrong city? Let me just quickly, quickly, I I know we're getting late, but three ways, three ways. You want to be saved, but not separated. Come on now. That's a lot of it, isn't it? We want to be saved. We want the benefits of knowing Jesus. We want eternal life. We want all those good things that God gives us. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to change. We don't want to forsake our old way of life, right? And so when God calls us, now watch carefully, when God calls us out of sin, he says, come, live with me. Come, abide in me. Come, experience what's better. Come, experience what's good. Come, experience my joy. What do we do? hesitate. You know it because you do it. So do I. We, we have this, this strong pull uh, that, that's pulling us towards sin and towards those things that, that look so appetizing to us. We can feel that pull every single day. And so when God says, turn from that and turn to me, we hesitate. 
you hesitate to hear his voice. You hesitate to spend time with his people. You hesitate to be in his word. You hesitate to live out his will. Why? Because you don't believe that what he has for you is better. You're still believing the lies of this world, that what this world offers you is good and better than what God has. And so when God says, come on, come to me, you hesitate. You want his benefits. You want to be saved from hell, but you don't want to be saved from this world. You want to continue to live unchanged in this world, doing what you want to do. That's how you know. That's how you know Sodom and Gomorrah lives inside of you. You want to be rescued from eternal hell, but you want to live like hell on this earth as well. You see what I'm saying? Or think about this. Think about this. You want to stay close to what God would judge. Now, I read an interesting article um, a couple weeks ago. This happened in Massachusetts a few weeks ago. So, so there was this woman, and, 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 and she, she got the bright idea to steal a car because who doesn't do that on a Friday afternoon? And so, so, so she went, and she saw this car that was there, and she got in. I don't know if the keys were in the, the ignition. I have no idea, but she stole the car. The guy who owned the car saw her steal the car, and, and she just began weaving, taking off, and all those kinds of things. And she hit somebody along the way, then hit something else. So she didn't plan this very well. And, and so, so the thing was, this, this car had one of those GPS trackers in it. And so he called the cops, and, and they were able to find her pretty quickly and so so they were uh, riding around found her turned the lights on and they were chasing her but but it was in a downtown kind of area and so I don't know if you've ever stolen a car before and tried to escape in a downtown kind of area it's probably pretty tricky I mean it's not like OJ on the highway you know what I'm saying it's a little bit different and so here she is and, and she's trying to weave in and out of traffic they're trying to get her but but they have to go slow because they're downtown the cops don't want to you know run anybody over or hit another car and so they're chasing her and, and they, they have to back off a bit because, you know, they just don't want to hurt anybody in the process of trying to catch her. And so she looks in the rearview mirror and sees that they're gone. She's feeling good about life. I outran the, outran the cops, right? But she hadn't gotten out of the city yet. But then something happened. As she looked in her rearview mirror and saw that the cops were not there, she looked ahead. You know what she saw? No, the golden arches. <laughs> and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, she did what you would have done. She did what I would have done. She had a craving for chicken nuggets. And so she pulled off into that McDonald's parking lot. She got in the drive-thru, and she got those chicken nuggets. And as she was taking that first bite, dipped it in the sweet and sour sauce, and taking that first bite of nuggets, 55.7 million police officers descended on that McDonald's parking lot and arrested her. You see what I'm saying? The pull, the pull of the nuggets was too strong. The pull of the, if she just would have kept going, you see. Now I'll tell you that silly story, tell you this. You know that, not the nuggets, but sin. You know the pull of sin. And because the pull of sin is so strong on your life, right? You want to stay close to it. You want to stay close, knowing that it's disastrous. Think about Lot again. He, he, he says to the angels, I can't run. Let me just stay close. Let me just stay close to Sodom. I, I know you're going to destroy it. I know this probably isn't the best decision, but I can feel the pull. Just let me stay close to Sodom. And you've done the same thing. Let me stay close. Because for some of us, we gave our lives to Jesus we stayed close. We stayed close to, to friends. 
that continue to pull us down instead of making new friends inside the family of God. We stay close to influences. You know it. You know the pull of, of the media or social media. And you know that when you go down that rabbit hole, it's only going to lead to bad thoughts or acting out in evil ways or whatever the case. But you, you stay close. You know. You know the pull when you're at home by yourself towards that pornography. But you stay close. You know the pull in your thought life. That, that God has told you to take every thought captive. He's told you to set your mind on things above. But when those thoughts come into your mind, those thoughts of hatred towards other people, uh, those thoughts of of whatever it might be, you let those thoughts linger, you stay close. You see what I'm saying? You don't want to separate yourself and you like to stay close. You see what I'm saying? And so what happens is God has called you to flee from sin because God knows. God knows if you stay close, what will happen? And God has said, come be close to me. You see what I'm saying? He's saying, I'm far better. He's he's giving Lot an invitation. Flee to the mountains and find grace. Flee to the mountains and find rest. Flee to the mountains and find the presence of God. But Lot says, no, I want to stay close. And some of you have said that to God too. God has offered you joy. He's offered you hope. And you stay close. And you know where it's gotten you. Nowhere. Because that sin you're staying close to continues to wreak havoc on your life and has brought you no joy. It's brought you a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. But let me show you one more thing. We've got to move. You keep turning back to what you know destroys. You stay close and you turn back. I mean, just think for a moment about Lot's wife. She turned back. It was going up in flames, but she had to look just one more time. She turned back. And, and, and I want to tell you this, and I want to tell you this with as much love as I can. Some of you in this room, you know what you've said far too often? One more time. One more time. I, I, I know this is wrong, but I just got to gossip about that person one more time. I, I know it's wrong, and I promise you, God, this is the last time. This is the last time I'm going out with my friends and getting drunk. Just one more time, God. You see, you look back. I I know that staring at those images on that screen is sinful. It's it's giving into the cravings of my lust. I know it, but one more time. One more time. And over and over and over again, you've said what? One more time. And you've never fleed. You've never gone to war with that sin that's destroying your your walk with the Lord and that's wreaking havoc on your family. But you keep saying, you know, you're like Lot. You're tormented. You know it's wrong. You know it's displeasing to God, but you keep saying, one more time, you keep looking back. You keep looking back. This is how you know if Sodom and Gomorrah dwells in you. You won't be separated. Or excuse me, you won't be saved, but you won't be separated. You want to stay close, and you keep turning back. You see what I'm saying? But my friend, listen, and, uh, give me about five more minutes. There's so much hope in this story. Five minutes is preacher math for 10. But, but listen to me, right? There's so much hope in this story. Two things. Two things. Notice what it says in the text. When, when Lot hesitates, God has compassion. And at the end of the story, 
right? It says what? That when Abraham was standing there looking at the destruction, God remembered Abraham and brought Lot out. It's interesting to me because when you get, and I'm not going to make you turn there right now, when you get to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, Peter, when he reflects back on this story, he calls Lot righteous. But when you read Genesis chapter 19, there ain't nothing about Lot that's righteous. How in the world can Peter call Lot righteous? Because God has compassion. You see? This is what what Genesis 19 verse 16 tells us, that, that God had compassion. God chose, God chose to make Lot what he was not. God chose to make Lot righteous, even though he was not righteous. God had compassion. And Abraham, you think about Abraham for just a moment. You know who he reminds me of? Jesus. Because in in the end of Genesis chapter 18, what does Abraham do? He goes to bat. He goes to bat for Sodom and Gomorrah. He goes to bat for Lot. Will you spare? Will you spare? And what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross, on that cruel Friday where Jesus hung on a cross and died in your place, you know what Jesus did? He went to bat for you. He, he laid down his life as a sacrifice for you. You see, in, in Genesis chapter 18, what Abraham is, is Abraham is a mediator. He's mediating on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot before God. God, please, please spare this place. Timothy, or excuse me, Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, that there's a mediator. One mediator between God and man. His name's Jesus. You see, Jesus did what Abraham could not do. Jesus, the sinless son of God, went to a cross and laid down his life for you, for me, for people like us who deep in our hearts know it. We know that Sodom and Gomorrah dwell within us, but Jesus went to a cross and what did he do? He let the same wrath of God that consumed Sodom and Gomorrah consume him. He took the punishment for our sins that we deserve. And then three days later, he rose from the dead victorious, defeating sin and death. So if you'll place your faith and trust in him, yes, in this life you'll struggle, I get all that, but you can be assured that you have the gift of righteousness that God calls you righteous. Righteous Tommy, righteous whoever you are, righteous not because you are, but because Jesus was righteous in your place and his righteousness is applied to your life. You see what I'm saying? He is the mediator that has made you right before the Father and when you begin to understand the significance of the work of the cross, you know what it does? It changes everything. And then all of a sudden, you have a longing for a different city. Let me show you one more passage and we're done. Look at what it says in in Hebrews chapter 11. When, When the writer of Hebrews reflects back on Abraham's life, he says this about Abraham. Abraham, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking, listen, listen, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see it? Lot had his eyes set on a city. The same city that you and I oftentimes have our eyes set on. Abraham had his eyes set on a different city a city that was going to be built by God himself. And and I just want to propose to you this morning 
that there is a better city for you to set your eyes on. And this morning in this room at this time, it's time for some of us to, to finally make that decision to choose the better city. You're settling for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah will never give you joy and satisfaction. Sodom and Gomorrah will always be destructive. And Sodom and Gomorrah will eventually be destroyed. Why settle for that? When you can live for a better city. When you can know the hope that comes in a relationship with Jesus. When you can have Jesus Christ change your desires and give you a new sense of purpose and give you new longings and a new heart, you see? Stop living for that city. Stop living for the wrong city and set your eyes on the city of God whose king is Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we end our time together, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're watching online. And today is the day that you need to make the decision once and for all to give your life to Jesus, to be saved, to experience salvation, the kind of salvation that changes you from the inside out. This morning, if you're in this room, you can go on these two crosses in the corners of this room. There'll be somebody there who's ready to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you begin a relationship with Jesus as you believe today that he died in your place and rose again to give you the gift of life. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you're a follower of Jesus. You're, you're, lot, lot, you're a lot like Lot. You believe God, right? But you keep choosing the wrong city. This morning, repent. Repent, right? Repent of loving this world far too much and repent of loving God far too little. And this morning, ask God to help you put your eyes on the city of God, whose king is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for a time together to worship, to be in your word together, to be reminded that there's a better city than what this world offers. A city where Christ is king and his rule is good and peaceful and full of righteousness. Father, forgive us because we've all done it. I've done it. We've set our eyes on the city of this world. We've set our eyes on Sodom and Gomorrah thinking we could find satisfaction there. And we've hesitated to leave. But this morning, Father, may we not hesitate. May we run to the throne of grace knowing that you are our our great king, the lover of our souls, the one who gives us what our hearts long for. For that person in this room who's never placed his faith or her faith in you, may that person come trusting you as Lord. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet as we honor. The, uh, excuse me. Rise your feet as we time invitation together. You come as the Spirit of God leads you.